Welcome back to Podcast 41 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by BetRivers.com. For a 100% sign-up bonus, please visit BetRivers and use the promo code ODDS22. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to help us out with our cost sponsor, the website, the podcast, we would love to help you out. Please visit theozbreakers.com, click shop, become a member, pick any of our winning handicappers, get the premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patron.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. We have a great show for you today, my friends, because we're bringing in some heavy hitters to talk some NFL season win totals and futures. We're bringing on our very own Chris Farley, who took fifth place in the Circa Millions last year. Him and Steve parted up and did a wonderful job taking in $114,000. And we're bringing on Mr. Ross Tucker from the Ross Tucker family of podcasts and even money. Ross is the best NFL insider that I know, and I just can't wait to talk to these guys about some NFL season totals and futures coming in for your betting pleasure. Before we get to our great guests, I want to make sure I mention that we now have our NFL membership packages up. Any subscription gets you a free Odds Breakers hat. So not only will you get winning picks from our fantastic handicappers, you also get some merchandise Please check any of us out at theoddsbreakers.com. Any help that supports us will come greatly appreciated. So we're going to have a great show because I'm also going to talk about some UFC 276 for the weekend. Going to give out some plays that I already made. I think there's some weak lines out there. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the next UFC event on July 9th, Dos Anjos versus Fiziev, because I'm actually going to be gone that week due to a family vacation at our family's longtime lake house in Minocqua, Wisconsin. Very excited to bring the kids up there. A little nostalgia for me because that's where we went in the summers when I was a kid. Lots of fishing happening. Lots of boating, lots of swimming, and there might be some beer drinking in the near future for me. But I'm also going to be logging in in the morning as usual, checking the lines, putting out some baseball plays when I can, putting in some UFC plays as I'm up there. Now, the internet isn't that good up there, so uh, my Twitter access and my uh, just general handicapping won't be as frequent. But then again, I'm on vacation I'm enjoying myself. I'm taking one big last breather before football season to enjoy the Northwoods. So very excited to do that. Going to have some spotted cow. Not sure if you ever tried that beer, but it can only be purchased in Wisconsin. It's a wheat beer, but it is delicious. You got to get one if you ever visit Wisconsin. Just excited to stretch out for one last 
full week. I'm actually going about nine days uh, before the madness hits in August with preseason football, obviously into football, the college football season, as well as the NFL. So can't wait to do that. I will still try to be active. If you have any questions, I'll be checking my Twitter periodically, but most of the time going to be having some fun with the fam. All right, without further ado, let's get right into the NFL then with our wonderful guests, Mr. Ross Tucker and Chris Farley. Now I'm very excited to welcome back a former NFL player and the best NFL insider that I know in Mr. Ross Tucker from the Even Money podcast and many other of his amazing football shows. Also very excited to bring back my main man here at the Oddsbreakers, circa fifth place champion, very profitable handicapper in Chris Farley. You can follow these amazing minds on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL and at Farley Bats. Guys, the N- the NBA, the NHL, it's over. There's no more excuses. It's NFL season right now. How you guys feeling? Feeling great, Kev. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know. I, I don't look at myself as an insider, but I'll take it. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. I, I'm like in shock right now that this guy you've been hyping up to me <laughs> Chris is from my rival high school in Reading, Pennsylvania. Like, what? That is crazy. So, Chris and I have a lot to talk about. Not that your whole audience wants to hear us talk about Holy Name versus Wyoming for 25 minutes. So, I can talk to Chris offline, but that just blew my mind right before we started the show. That's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm so excited that you guys are from the same place. And Chris has told me that. He's like, man, you, Ross, I've been following him so long. You have him on the show. And I'm like, yeah, I got to get you guys together when I can. But, you know, it, I just figured right now is a perfect time. The NFL's brewing and and why not? So I, I would love to hear some uh, some rivalry stories maybe uh, uh, at some point. So, Chris, man, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll say this, you know, my whole family is from Northern Jersey, New York City. That's why I'm a Giants fan. I was bored into it. But then they decided for whatever reason to move to Eastern Pennsylvania, you know, beautiful area, obviously. But I grew up around Eagles fans in the Donovan McNabb era. So there were there were many times where as a Giants fan, I, I took off on a, on a, you know, on a Monday after a loss on Sunday. Uh, and it is crazy that you went to why I'm missing. People don't know why I'm missing Wilson, Holy Name, Central Catholic. There, there's some athletes that come out of that area. Chris, what year did you graduate? I just got to know that. Yeah, I graduated in 04. Oh, my gosh. You're a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> I, we have a few years on him, Ross, let's, let's just say. Uh, but that's that's so cool. You guys are from the same area. That is so ironic. And, man, I got to tell you, uh, it's so exciting now that it's NFL season. And, and Ross, you are an insider, man. You get information before I do. So uh, I, th- I look at you as one of the best out there. So don't, uh, don't take that wrong, man. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit, guys. Uh, NFC, I want to start with the NFC. I want to talk some season win totals. Anything else you guys might have made out there? Get some great stuff out there for our listeners here. I want to start with the NFC North, if that's okay with you guys. Division by division, just kind of on a high level if you made any plays or not. Um, And just being that lowly Bears fan, I'll start out, Ross, um, not too excited about my Bears this year. I hate to say there's there's some optimism with the new coach and everything, but I'm not feeling it, man. I, uh, I see a honeymoon year. For the two coat for the uh, GM Ryan Poles 
and uh, Matt Everflus. They lost their two best guys on defense, Ross. Chris, man, I I don't know how they're going to get to seven wins here. Their, their season win total is at six and a half. Justin Fields is there, but we don't even know if Justin Fields is really all that great. This offensive line's terrible. They really got one good skill position in Darnell Mooney, and I guess maybe Montgomery's good. I don't see the Bears getting past seven wins. The first play I made this year was Bears under six and a half. And I got plus money on that, guys. So uh, it's actually moved in my direction. So, uh, Chris, why don't you go first? Anything you have in the NFC North? Yeah, I mean, I can I can only agree with you, Kevin. I mean, who who am I to not agree with you, right? You're a Bears fan. Uh, Matt Eberflus, <laughs> his first head coaching gig, right? So there's, there's probably going to be some growing pains there, a little bit for him. And I just – Chicago is just so talent poor on offense. I just don't know how they're going to produce. Again, it's going to be a lot, a lot on Justin Fields' shoulders – you know, his sophomore season in, in the NFL, but uh, in, in, in a division where I think the Lions could be a little better, right? I, I kind of have some hype in the Vikings this year, and of course the Packers are always going to be there. I tend to agree with you, man. I, I would have to lean to the under. That's about right for me, probably like around five and a half or six, so it's just a lean for me for now, but getting the seven wins is going to be tough. Yeah, absolutely, and I should have said the win totals, Ross, before I, I said this. Packers 11, Vikings 9, Bears and Lions both 6.5. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so the strongest play by far is the Bears under. You guys both kind of beat me to it. And, Kiev, I know what you're doing there. That's called a happiness hedge, right? <laughs> like either the Bears surprise you and exceed your expectations or you make money off of them. I'm very well aware of the happiness hedge. <laughs> I, I think they're one of the worst teams in football. My offensive line rankings will be coming out in a couple weeks. They're last. I'll, like sneak preview, they're last. They have the worst <laughs> offensive line in the NFL. Um, worst offensive line, worst receiving core, second-year quarterback, new coaching staff. That's no way to go through life. I feel like, what's the movie? Uh you know, zero point fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. <laughs> Belushi. <laughs> like, that's no way to go through an NFL season. So, I think Packers at 11 is about right. I still can't believe where we got them last year on the over. That was an asinine number that the books put up. Vikings at nine is fine. The Lions are actually probably a lean to the over for me, but I, I still can't go there and play them to make sure they get seven wins. So the only play right now is Chicago under six and a half. I'd be stunned if they got seven wins. Yeah, I would too. It sucks to be a Bears fan and face this, but at the same time, I'd rather go into a season being pessimistic and having them maybe surprise you rather than being optimistic and have them destroy you. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. Emotional hedge, you can call it that, but I, I'm playing with my money here, man. I think I think I was on to something when I got some plus money here. And one thing I will say is the Vikings, I think they make the playoffs this year. I did put a little bit on them at plus 100 to make the playoffs. I thought I could go over nine, but I might push at nine. I think they'll make the playoffs. I don't think that they're going to win the division, though, because Kirk Cousins is really the Jeff Fisher of quarterbacks. He's going to be seven and nine, eight and eight, and or nine and seven, kind of how Jeff Fisher was back when there was sixteen games. So we're gonna we're gonna sit with that one and uh, move on to the NFC South. Here we got the Buccaneers at eleven point five wins. Tom Brady. 
after about five weeks of daycare, he said, I'm coming back to the NFL. <laughs> the Saints sitting there with eighth wins, Panthers at six, Falcons at five. Ross, why don't you take the floor on this one? Thank you. Yeah, there's there's a clear one for me here, and it's the Saints over eight. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston, we don't know coming off the injury, but he actually performed pretty well in his first season after LASIK surgery last year in those whatever it was, seven games for the Saints. And here's what I would tell you about the Saints. Their fans are mad at me because <laughs> I don't know if it was Ross Tucker football podcast or what, but I said that. I don't think they're as good as they think they are. I mean, the Saints clearly think they're better than everybody else does. I mean, to make the moves, to trade with the Eagles and the Commanders, to get Alave, then to sign Tyron Matthew, Jarvis Landry, the Saints are operating like they're not just a playoff contender, but they're a Super Bowl contender. I don't see that at all, not with Dennis Allen and Jameis Winston, but I do think... In a 17-game slate, they get a great chance, especially with as bad as Carolina and Atlanta are, to get the 9 or 10 wins. So I still, I think at some point it was 7.5, which is crazy, but I still really like the over 8 for New Orleans. I, I don't see them winning only 7 games. I think there's a much greater likelihood they win 9 or 10. It was 7.5 a long time ago, Ross. Chris, any agreement or disagreement with Ross's take? Yeah, um, I, I agree with everything Ross just said. Uh, the Saints are just such an interesting team this year. You know, I think that they could produce at a pretty high level on offense. We know Jameis Winston can put up some numbers, obviously, and, and they got an exciting pick in Chris Olave, and Michael Thomas back, Jarvis Landry. Now, Alvin Kamara, do we know how long he's going to be suspended? I guess, you know, I guess we still don't know that. But, you know, at least they have a head coach who's been with that defense for a long time. They certainly have a lot of talent on defense. Uh, so I think eight or nine games is certainly achievable. But just to give another play, I, I just think that the Atlanta Falcons, um, you know, maybe it's a square pick at this point, right? Because everyone seems to be talking about how, how bad the Falcons are, are going to suck this year. But, uh, you know, look, I like what I saw from Marcus Mariota last year on the Raiders, you know, showed some fight. But you can't bank on him as a quarterback in this offense. You know, Corderell Patterson can only do so much. And besides Casey Hayward Jr., I'm not sure if I know any names on that Falcons defense. Uh, so it's just, I think it's just going to be a rough ride for Atlanta. So what are they at five or five and a half right now? I I, I think they're going to be lucky to get to four wins, guys. It's, I think it's going to be a rough road for them. Yeah, it's looking rough for the Falcons. I, I have five right now. So um, five and a half would definitely be much more attractive if you can find that number. We always say shop around here. So I'm going to take what you guys said about the Saints, and I'm going to press it a little bit here. We're going to we're going to add to that. I think they have a shot at this division, and at plus four hundred, I think that thing is wide open here, baby. Um, look what Tampa lost here. They lost Coach Bruce Arians, and say what you want, he was a guy that kind of brought them all together. So. I think that's a bigger loss than what people think. But then you look at guard Alex Kappa, safety Jordan Whitehead, running back Ronald Jones, Jason Pierre-Paul, Dominican Sue, Richard Sherman, Rob Gonkowski, O.J. Howard. I mean, tons of talent that is leaving this team. This team's going to have a great starting group, but they're going to be really thin on the second string. So if they're not healthy like they've been over the past few years, they have a very good chance of absolutely crumbling here while you have the Saints that has at least has some continuity promoting their guys from within that's been in the Sean Payton system. 
Ross, man, I got to tell you, I think plus 400 is where it's at here, and that's enough to get me to put a little bit of money on them to win the division. Yeah, no, I'm not going that far. <laughs> you sound like a Saints fan, Kev. Now, look, I got it. I, I understood the argument. I will take Jameis Winston to win a division over Tom Brady. How about never? I'm not doing that. Um, I understand the logic, but that's a no for me, Kiev. You know what? My over eight, though, might make up for that when it's all said and done. So we'll see what happens. I go, you go a little bit bigger on the season win total here. You have a little bit left to possibly grab that plus 400. I think that this went in my direction. Most books are really pushing out plus 350. So I am, I am happy that I am ahead of that line move let's move into the nfc east and chris this is your division being such the giants fan cowboys at 10 eagles at nine and a half commanders at eight feels so weird to say the commanders by the way and the giants at seven chris you have the floor yeah, well, I mean, I, I can't say I'm the resident NFC East expert. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure one of us announces for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, I will say this. I, I have to talk about the Giants a little bit because, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And there, there has been a culture change for the New York Giants. There's just so much positive sentiment coming from them. Uh, that's what they needed most. You know, I don't know if Daniel Jones is going to be able to hold that team afloat. Probably going to be a lot of turnovers again. But unfortunately, and uh, Ross, you know, you probably don't know this, but my best friend who I entered Circa with is a huge Eagles fan. So he's going to love that I'm saying this. But I do like the Philadelphia Eagles over this year. They have a sensational offensive line. They're going to have a very speedy group with Miles Sanders, right? Devonta Smith coming back. I love the pickup of A.J. Brown. I mean, he's huge. He's going to make a big difference off the Titans that, you know, now that he's not with them anymore. Of course, it all comes down to Jalen Hurts, too. But Jalen Hurts is a fighter. He has a great mentality. Uh, I love Nick Sir Sirianni in you know, season two after really surprising a lot of people with more wins than you know, I think we all thought they would get last year. And they're loaded on defense, too. I mean, they got veteran leaders. Uh, they got great uh, safeties and cornerbacks. The Eagles are getting a lot of hype in Philly right now. I know that. Philly talk radio is going nuts. Uh, but I do think that it's well-deserved this time. And at least you have a leader in Jalen Hurts, who I don't think is going to get affected by all the noise. You know, he's going to be able to lead them through a lot of these matchups. So I would say watch out Dallas Cowboys, who are always, you know, they're just expected to be the NFC East champs. I think Philly's going to give them a run for their money. And if you can get plus money on Philly winning the division, that's not a bad look either. Yeah, looking at it in the NFC East, that's the only one that stood out to me. I think the Cowboys are lined about right at 10 Commanders at eight, I'd probably lean to the under there. I, I don't know what the deal is with Carson Wentz, but at some point, it's not it's not them, it's you. And then with the Giants at seven, I got some faith in Dayball, so I, I'm not going to touch that one. I would be surprised if the Eagles don't get to ten wins. You know, they got the nine last year, and for all the reasons Chris mentioned, they should be significantly better a number of places. Plus, you get Hurts second full season as a starter in the same offense. This is a team that not only I think it's probably a 10 or 11 win team, but in the NFC that doesn't have a lot of dominant teams. So the Rams won it last year. The Packers lose Devontae Adams. The Bucks don't have Gronk. And there is a scenario whereby the Eagles really go on an impressive run in the NFC postseason if Hurts continues to improve. I agree with all that. 
One thing I don't, well, I I don't like the under on any of these teams. And the reason this is, is because the NFC East has the easiest schedules in football because they get the NFC North division and they get the AFC South division. As we just discussed, we don't expect the Bears to be all that. We don't expect the Lions to necessarily take that big of a step forward. And we got the AFC South, South, you got Houston and Jacksonville there. And it's, they're still probably one of the weaker divisions up top. Um, with Tennessee and Indianapolis. I think that the Eagles over nine was a great play. It's at nine and a half now, so I did take that. Um, It's going to be interesting to see who finishes on top because uh, the market kind of tells you that they both like the Cowboys and the Eagles to to wear their line. So you get all agreement here for the Eagles over nine, nine and a half. Let's move on to the NFC West then. You have the Rams at ten and a half, the 49ers at ten, the Cardinals at eight and a half, and the Seahawks at five and a half. Why don't you go first, Russ? Well, there's a couple unders that I would look to in this division, and that's the Cardinals and the Seahawks. In particular, look, five and a half is a low number for the Seahawks. They're bad. Uh, their O line is bad, and They've got the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. And based on our report so far, they don't seem to be that interested in improving it. You hear a lot of Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo to Carolina. You don't hear a whole lot to Seattle. I still think maybe they'll get one of them, but if they don't, Drew Locke and Geno Smith, yikes. Behind that offensive line, it's a rebuilding year in Seattle. I think everybody knows it. I'm not sure they care that much about getting to six or seven wins. So I would lean under on Seattle's five and a half. And something doesn't feel right with the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not quite sure what it is, but something doesn't feel right. They're getting worse in places. No more Chandler Jones. They have to play without DeAndre Hopkins for a while. Christian Kirk left. I thought the Hollywood Brown trade was weird. That They're probably an eight or nine win team. But I would lean under more than I would over for the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals definitely something smells there. And when Kyler Murray disassociated himself from the team right after the season, I guess that's what they're doing now to get paid. But it's just a it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. That J.J. Watt contract was expensive, and it's the reason that they lost so many guys on defense. Um I I don't even like what the Niners are doing, Ross, with their quarterback, you know. What I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was number four in EPA and completion percentage over expectation last year. You know, it's like this guy was a top ranked quarterback coming in and just them just trying to push him away just because they made that big draft pick last year of a guy that's unproven. I have no idea what's going to happen with Jimmy G. I almost thought just Cleveland and and, and San Francisco just swap Mayfield and Jimmy G somehow for this year just to kind of save their season and save their integrity here. If the Niners are not going with Jimmy G, I don't I don't like them at 10, but like you said, there's not enough information yet. We have to wait on some moves. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, I think, you know, the 49ers, you know, you listen to the SPNs of the world and that kind of stuff, right? People are, they get excited about Trey Lance, but he really hasn't proven much. I would go with Jimmy G all day over Trey Lance. Uh, but, you know, and I'm hearing different things about that, so I can't put a bet on that yet. But I totally agree about the Seattle Seahawks. Talk about a bad offensive line. I desperately, I mean, if any of our, our listeners have heard me before, they know that I can't stand Baker Mayfield. 
I desperately hope that he goes to the Seattle Seahawks so that he has no offensive line to work behind because I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> you know, going 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 from the Browns to the Seahawks would be ridiculous. Uh, but um, I also want to talk about the uh, what what other team I want to talk about here the. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Cardinals, I agree, but, you know, the Rams, I still have to lean over to the Rams. They haven't made a play just yet, but they found a way, again, to keep all the guys that ma- matter. Obviously, Von Miller's gone, so that's, you know, he, he was awesome in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, but they still got so many guys in this team. Allen Robinson gets another chance. You know, I love that addition for them. I mean, you're going to have to knock the Rams off their pedestal, and I don't think it's going to be an easy thing for, for any of these other teams to do in the NFC West, so... I, you know, before the end of this or before the season starts, I might go ahead and make some more Rams uh, bets because unless there's a major injury, I don't see that team getting over 10, 11 wins either. Right. Plus the Rams will feed off the Seahawks and the Cardinals to pump up yes. those wins. So that's always something to take into consideration. Let's move on to the AFC North then. We got the Bengals at 10, the Ravens at nine and a half, the Steelers at seven, the Browns at asterisk right now because nobody's going to put a number up on the Brownies. I'm just going to tell you, it's the Ravens. All I mean, seriously, uh, last place schedule, all the injuries last year. I mean, you, I got them at plus 200 to win division. It's down to plus 160 now. I, I don't know if we have to discuss this one much. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts? Well, I like the Steelers. I, I have to talk about the Steelers at 7.5. I think it's offensive that the Steelers are graded there. 7.5, 8, right? Is it at 8 now? I, it's, at, it's down to 7, and I'm waiting for that to go. Down to 7. I'm waiting for okay. that whole Mitch Trubisky hate to keep going. So, so Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we could talk about Mitch all day, right, and what we think he's going to be or what you know he could be for the Steelers. But at the end of the day, this is probably still a top-five defense, right, with one of the best defensive lines in football. All Tomlin does is win. And do we know that it's a downgrade, a quarterback at this point, right? we still got some young talent in there now. Mitch has a big arm. They have a lot of speed on offense. And again, I mean, 15 seasons of of winning seasons there in Pittsburgh for Tomlin. If you're giving me seven or seven and a half and all the Steelers have to do is get eight, which means it wouldn't even be a winning season, I'm going to take the over on the Steelers all day. Part of that is because I think we could see some regression from the Bengals, who, you know, they're kind of a Cinderella story last year. But I don't know if they shored up that offensive line as much as they should have. Uh, and, you know, just a lot of things took place last year that kind of led to where they got to. I, I love Joe Burrow, but, you know, I think they might have some disappointments this year. But I agree with you, Kev. I think, I think the Ravens are something to watch out for. That defense is going to be mean. Ross? Ravens over just because of all the guys coming back from injury. I think they win that division. And I'm not taking the under on the Steelers. I'm not, I'm not taking them to win five or six games. You can only look over for the reasons Chris mentioned. Fair enough. Let's move on to the AFC South. Then Colts listed at 10 wins, favored to the win of the division. Titans at 9. Jaguars at 6.5. And the lowly Texans at 4.5. Ross, why don't you get started? So I think this division's lined pretty well. I, I have I could lean to the Jaguars over just because Urban Meyer got about as close as I've ever seen an NFL coach to sabotaging a football team last year. <laughs> and I think that they're due for a bounce back. I don't know if it's that much of a bounce back, but I think they're due for a bounce back. I think the Titans are taking a step back, but nine sounds about right. Eight, nine wins, somewhere in that range. I know a lot of people like the Colts. Man, if Matt Pryor is a starting left tackle, that would concern me. So my, my, my closest play here would just be the Jags over six and a half. Lean to the Jags, Chris. 
I like the Colts under. Uh, I just I don't know if they have enough firepower on offense again. You know, I, obviously Jonathan Taylor, but teams know that, right? I mean, teams know how good he is at this point. So they're going to force Matt Ryan into a lot of situations where he's going to have to win games for them. Matt Ryan still has a very formidable arm, but obviously he's not in his prime anymore. And I, I don't know if I believe it in those wide receivers in the Colts. You know, um, uh, Pittman Jr. stepped up a little bit last year, but he's inconsistent. You know, they're, they're going to have to ride that defense game in and game out, and I think the AFC South as a whole could improve. Uh, I agree with Ross said about the Jags, too, right? Now they have they actually have an adult in the room, right, and Doug Peterson. So there has to be some good things that happen there. Uh, so I would just lean under to the Colts, but not a lot of strong plays in this division for me. All right, we have a few minutes left, so let's move on to the next one. I don't, And I don't have anything in this, this division either. I think they're lined pretty good. AFC East, Bills 11.5, Dolphins 9 Patriots eight and a half and the Jets five and a half. I didn't make a play here, but one thing I'll say, Ross, is when we talked about the Pythagorean, nobody had the guts to take the Bills under their number last year, and they went under along with quite a few of the other teams that predicted regression for those Pythagorean win totals coming out last year. So just wanted to say that, and I think that it's the Bills division to lose. Chris, what do you have? Yeah, 11 and a half is a huge number for the Bills, but man, I do think this is gonna. This could be their year. You know, I think this is set up for them to do as well as they as they could. I mean, they have a great roster inside and out. Um, so even at eleven and a half, you know, I'm I'm still thinking about putting on an, an overbet on the Bills. Uh, listen, I, I think the Patriots have to regress a little bit eventually too. I'm not very impressed with anything that they did in the off season, and then a lot of hype about these Dolphins, right? And I, you know, for good reason, I guess. Right? You know, speed obviously with Tyreek, you know. Raheem Moster, I like that addition. Mike McDaniel's is a seems like a very sharp guy and a sharp coach, but it's, it's a lot on Tua to prove this year, and that's a lot of pressure. And I like Tua, but there's a lot of formidable defenses in the in the AFC East in particular, so uh, they're going to get challenged. So I would have to lean to the under on the Dolphins as well. I, it's just a little too much hype for me. Ross. I don't really have anything in the AFC East. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's just about where it should be uh part of me wants to lean under on the jets just because i feel like there's a lot of a lot of hype from their draft but five and a half is a pretty low number i like where the dolphins patriots and bills numbers are all right fair enough and the dolphins i have them as an average team but they have a third place schedule so that's what brings them closer to nine i think there's gonna you might get some value on them betting against them in the regular season at least in the beginning move on to the afc west then chiefs 10 and a half chargers 10 broncos 10 with russell wilson and then the raiders eight and a half i'm gonna tell you what i did with this division here and you can get these numbers right now. The Chiefs to win the division are plus 175, and the Chargers to win this division is plus 250. Why not make a bet on both these teams? And Because you're essentially, if you blend these odds together, you're getting plus 112.5 blended odds for the top two teams to win the division. You know, there's two out of four teams here. You're getting plus money on. Sure, if the Chiefs do it, you get you know 0.75 of your bet, but if the Chargers do, you get a larger number here. Got to minus out the unit, obviously, for the other side. I love this play. This is what I'm rolling with. Chris, what are you doing? Uh, this is just such a tough division for me. Uh, I mean, it's graded like it's the best division in football, right? I guess, right, with the total win totals. Um, the the Raiders have done a lot. They they on paper, the Raiders should have a very explosive offense. You know you have to like Max Crosby and what he's been doing and some of the additions that they have on defense as well. I mean, in the secondary, they're still going to have a lot of problems. 
but you know, and the the Chargers are are all in. Um, so I don't know. I kind of see just the changing of the guard. I'm going to wait to make any bets on this division, but I'm probably going to like a lot of underdogs, especially when they go into KC. You know, all these teams against the Chiefs, they're going to they're going to give them a lot of trouble this year. Ross, what do you think? I kind of like the under on Chargers, Broncos, Raiders. I, I just think this division and this conference, they're going to beat each other up. Um, I, you know, the Chargers still have a right tackle issue. The Raiders have a major O-line issue. I'm not sure. I mean, to have three teams lined to get double-digit wins, that just doesn't happen. Very, very unlikely. And I'm not sure these teams are as good as the off-season hype would lead you to believe that's 39 wins and obviously average 17 times two third that's 34 that's five wins above the average right if they all had exactly 8.5 theoretically so that's huge that's a that's a massive size and they're saying that this is the best division in football according to these vegas odds so painting the under in this whole thing might end up being an okay idea here i can de- definitely guarantee you not all these teams are going to hit the, these massive uh numbers here and they're all playing each other so real quick before we go guys any plays week one Ross, I don't think you have one yet. Anything you looked at? No, I, I haven't placed any uh, week one plays yet other than for every single one of you to watch and listen to the Even Money podcast. That's the play right there, Kiev. That is the play. Watch or listen to the Even Money podcast. That's how you'll get the good week one bets even, and all season. Even Money, one of my go-to podcasts. Ross had his tough year, but he made it into the black last year. He worked hard, and that's <laughs> what he does. And I, we were so proud to hear that. Fezzik <laughs> makes up for it. Fezzik, my co-host, <laughs> makes up for it. So uh, He does. Chris? Uh, the week one plays, I, I, I like the Bucks and the Cowboys over 52. I think that number is going to only go up probably. I mean, you know, We saw how explosive that game could be last year. The Cowboys always start off hot, right? And then they kind of fizzle out at the end of the year. So they're going to bring their, their best. It's, it's, it's at Dallas. And I have to follow up about what Ross just said in his podcast. Ross, I've been a fanboy of yours for over five years. And the thing that I thing that I love about his podcast is that you just make it very digestible. You know, it's like easy to listen to. You know, just a regular guy that likes Cape May Brewing Company beer. We got to talk about that. I got married in Cape May. <laughs> Uh, but, but it's just, it's a great podcast. You and physics. I've learned so much throughout the year. So I, I mean, I, I do, I do owe you some credit on that circle win. I mean, maybe you should charge me interest next time. Uh, I love it. I want to talk with you more about that, Chris. I followed you on Twitter so we can DM each other. Kiev, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Hey, if you guys need anything, tweet us at the Ozbreakers. You can also follow Chris at Farley Betts Ross at Ross Tucker NFL. Everybody enjoy the rest of your week. All right, now it's time for a little UFC 276. This is a massive card, my friends. Israel Adesanya versus Jared Cannonier is the main event. And the co-main event, are you serious? Another amazing bout with Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. I'm very excited for this card, but hey, man. I'm going to be up in the North Woods trying to find a signal to put this next to my uh, fishing pole here to see if I can watch these uh, amazing fights. But either way, I can still cap it. And here is kind of what I found. Let's just start with the main event here. Man, Izzy 
is minus 450 here, and Jared Cannonier is plus 350. Man, is he the style bender? The he's the best stand-up fighter in all of MMA right now. 185 pounds, the middleweight class. The problem with Izzy is if he gets held to the ground, which nobody's been able to do but one person who's a lot heavier than Izzy, Jean Blakovich, you know, he should beat everybody standing up. But I got to tell you, Cannoneer is the next best right now in this division. I know that Vittori is hanging around there for sure. Sean Strickland is there, and he's actually not even really favored. He's like minus 110 in his fight against a kickboxer today. Derek Brunson, next tier down maybe, next level down, Paula Costa, Jack Romanson. It's pretty much between Izzy and Jared Condonier, I guess. And Izzy did beat Robert Whitaker. But one thing I'm going to say here, a lot of people think that Whitaker should have scored better in that fight. The whole reason Vittori lost is he just couldn't keep a hold of Izzy on the mat like Jean Blakovich did. But Jean kind of drew the diagram of how to beat Izzy. So that makes you wonder if Cannoneer can actually figure this out. Cannoneer is a stand-up fighter now. He hasn't submitted anybody since 2013. Both of these are about equal in significant strikes, both equal at about 53 and 54% accuracy, but Jared is going to be able to take down a little bit better than Izzy. Now, Izzy's takedown defense is a massive 77%. Izzy's got a reach advantage of 2.5 inches, and he's got a 5-inch height advantage. Israel's got the best defense in the whole weight class, if not the whole UFC so this is why you see him as a massive minus 450, but geez, minus 450, it's too massive to play. So a lot of people are going to try to get cute and say Izzy by decision, which probably does he even pay even money, right? And this is a five-round title fight. Izzy by decision is plus 100 in some of these books. Actually, there's, there are some plus 120s out there right now. Izzy wins inside the distance, plus 145, but he's not submitting anybody. If anything, you're going to go him by KO at plus 150, plus 160. That's out there right there. Okay? Now, if Adesanya's got that bunch of a striking advantage, he's moving, he's sticking, why does he just knock Cannonier out, right? I mean, that's the kind of way I would think. Five-round fight. Jared's lost two ways, two KOs, and three decisions. He's never been submitted. His last KO was to Dominic Reyes back in 2018. And then right before that was John Blakovich. Two fantastic fighters. So there you go. He lost to Whitaker. But it's just too much of a price here for Izzy. And the way these judges have been, lots of arguing going on between UFC fans, UFC betters, 
even Dana White's getting involved in some of it. There's been some inconsistent judging. Now, the judges have really favored Izzy in the past. But the question is, can this go five rounds, and does it get to the cards to give Jared a fighting chance? If Jared's on the ground the whole time with Izzy, he does have a fighting chance. And you're sitting here with plus 320 odds? Plus 320 odds for a guy that just knocked the hell out of Derek Brunson, beat Kelvin Gastelum. Kelvin's just lasts forever. I don't know how that fight went five rounds, but it did. But then he loses to Robert Whitaker, beat Jack Romanson by KO, beat Anderson Silva by KO. I think that Cannoneer's got a fighting chance. I mean, I would think that he's got a 33% chance of winning, maybe 30. 33% means you need plus 200, and this thing's all the way up to plus 300. I think Izzy should be a minus 220, minus 240 favorite, in my opinion, right? So I'm not going to necessarily make a play yet, but I can see this fight going so many different ways for Izzy. Well, the two different ways. He knocks him out or he wins by decision. Or I can just see Jared Cannonier winning by knockout or decision. But rather than taking those two prices, you would just take him as the massive plus 320. I haven't made a decision yet. I might completely stay off this fight. Just like I'm going to be staying off the next fight, but I'm going to be watching this fight because I've enjoyed the past two fights between these guys so much in, in Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, these were just bloody fights. You know, a lot of people think that Holloway won this thing, their last fight. Lots of people think that Holloway got screwed. I personally think that Holloway did lose the first fight in 2019, but I also thought that Holloway did outscore the way I would have scored the fight back in 2020. Then Holloway beat Cater, right? Calvin Cater, and then beat Yair Rodriguez. So he's got his third chance here. Third time's the charm, right? Well, not according to the odds because Holloway is still a pretty decent-sized dog plus 175, Alexander minus 210, right? Got to lay 210 to win 100 bucks. So my thoughts immediately was to look to the over because these are just two warriors. Well, guess what? Over four and a half is minus 125. Fight goes to decision minus 110. And the way that these guys just bloody each other up, you can see a technical knockout happening at any point. I think they're, that's a perfect, perfect number. Over two and a half is minus 225. You know, I, I almost would go over two and a half rather than go to decision here. But man, I, I got to tell you, I don't know what to do with this. And I think that Volkanovsky is just got Holloway's number. He's a brick shithouse. He has no neck. He's a great kicker. He's just, he's quick. Holloway's probably a little bit better of a, just an all-around fighter with kicks and everything. But Holloway's the weaker man. Volkanovski's stronger. I'm probably staying away from this fight, but man, do I want to watch it. The next fight, it's another middleweight fight without who I mentioned before, Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira. So if you're just a novice here or not doing your research, you see that Pereira's only got two UFC fights and 
six total MMA fights. But what you don't know is Alex Pereira is the top kickboxer in their whole federation. Number one ranked middleweight, light heavyweight kickboxer, right? He's fantastic at it. And what does Sean Strickland do? He's a stand-up fighter. He's 25-3, and but he sits there and stands out. He wins by decision constantly. But now he's fighting on somebody that might be a little bit better of a stand-up fighter than him. Sean Strickland has 10 KOs, 4 submissions, and 11 decisions. I mean, he hasn't submitted anybody since 2014. I mean, if I was fighting Pereira, that's the only thing I would learn is on the ground. Wrestling, jujitsu. I mean, that's the only way you're going to win. The last loss that Strickland has is to Valeski Dos Santos by a spinning wheel kick. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what Pereira can do. So I am probably staying off this fight. I mean, Strickland's got all the experience. Pereira's coming in. I probably even lean Pereira a little bit. Pereira is 6'4". Sean Strickland is 6'1". So the size advance goes to Alex. Three-inch reach, 79 to 76. This is just going to be one of those weird situations. And until Alex Pereira fights somebody that can wrestle, I'm not going to be betting against him. Anyways, I do have two plays for you that I'm going to give out. And one of those plays actually has two sides to it. You have Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. And this is going to be a huge fight. There's a ton of Sean O'Malley fans all over the place. O'Malley's got that big bozo afro hair colored up. Cocky as hell. Massive stand-up fighter. Eight significant strikes per minute. Right? Knocks people out. Knocked out Raleigh and Pava, as you just saw him fight Morozov last week. And actually, Pava was winning that first round. You know, beat Almeida, but he lost to Marlon Vera. That's his only loss since his fighting career. He's 15-1. He's fighting a guy in Pedro Munoz that's been around for a while. Pedro, 35 years old. Been through just a ton of great fighters. I mean, he lost four of his last five fights, but Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, he beat Jimmy Rivera, then he lost to Frankie Edgar and Aljamain Sterling, right? So some of the best fighters, literally in a 135-pound weight class is what he's went through. Now, what I will say about Munoz, out of his seven losses, every single one of them was by decision. Every single one of them. He's never been knocked out. He's never been submitted. Sean O'Malley's going to try to knock him out. And that's what all the public money is going to be going towards. But I am not going to be playing it like that. I think that if Pedro loses this fight or if this fight goes to decision, it's going to be Sean O'Malley winning this. Just because he's going to have the massive striking advantage. Sean O'Malley, like I said, 8.26 significant strikes per minute, 63% accuracy. To Munoz at 5.5 at 45% accuracy. But here's what Munoz has. He's a better guy, he's a better ground fighter, in my opinion. 
Munoz has five KOs and eight submissions with six decisions. Okay. And the ground game is exactly what Munoz needs to do. He has no chance against O'Malley standing up. He's going to be shooting. Now, O'Malley, don't get me wrong. Fantastic fighter, as I said earlier. O'Malley is going to have to use his takedown defense, which isn't all that great. 64%. I mean, it's good, but it's not elite. So that's where he can possibly get beat here. He can get himself caught. What does Daniel Cormier say about Sean O'Malley? He says that Sean O'Malley picks his fights. He doesn't fight grapplers. Well, finally, Sean got a little bit cuter here to fight a guy like Pedro Munoz, right? So, in my opinion, there's two ways to play this. You play your larger amount at plus 175 Sean O'Malley to win by decision because Munoz has never been knocked out before. And then you play Pedro Munoz by submission at a massive plus 1,100. Imagine if that hits. Play that for half the amount. One unit on Sean O'Malley, a half unit on Pedro Munoz at plus 1,100. Because O'Malley's minus 300 right now. That says he's got a 75% chance of winning this fight. Okay? You're laying some serious juice here. I think Munoz has a fighting shot, but if he wins, it's going to be on the ground. I don't think he's going to be able to ground and pound O'Malley. O'Malley's just too slippery. He's going to get out of it. O'Malley will get back to his feet. Punch Munoz. Judges are going to favor O'Malley. Best way to play this fight, in my opinion. And my other play that I want to give you, Brad Tavares, very capable fighter at plus 120 against Drikus Duplessis. And minus 140 for Drikus. I got to tell you, this number kept creeping up and up. And I was able to jump on Drikus before... It got too high. I ended up getting him at minus 125. When this opened like last week, he was actually plus money in some books, which it sucks that I missed on, but I'm glad to be ahead of this final line move. Brad Tavares, like I said, very capable, but his last win against Omari Akhmadov was fake news. The fight was almost a year ago on July 10th of 2021. Omari had that fight won in many people's opinion, and he lost a split decision through some, some bad decision, bad judging, right? Well, Omari's okay. He left the UFC after that. Maybe that judging was part of the reason he lost his next fight to Jordan Young, then he wins two more after that. Now, Tavares has been in the UFC for quite a while now, 2011. Actually, he's got quite a few wins. He's 19 and 6 overall. But he doesn't have any quality wins. I guess his most quality one is probably Christoph Jocko. And I give him some respect for that. Jocko has certainly been good as of late. He lost to Adesanya, which is completely fine. But then he lost to Edmund Shabazian. And Shabazian did not prove to be all that great of a fighter. And he peaked and then lost his last three in a row. It was actually after the Tavares fight. He must have just caught Tavares somehow in his situation. He beat Antonio Carlos and then Omariak Madoff. Driscus is just running through people at this point. Okay. 
I mean, seven KOs, nine submissions, zero decisions. All right? And that's why money's coming in on him. He just beat the heck out of Trevin Giles, which I don't think much of. But the fight barely got into the second round. Marcus Perez. The only time he got knocked out was back in 2018. He's just a younger, hungry fighter at 28 years old, moving up in the weight class. Now, I think that the fact that Drickus never been to decision is probably best to take a shot with him inside the distance if you're missing out on the better odds. Let's just say you get to this at minus 150, minus 160. You can still get him at plus 130, plus 140 for him to win inside the distance, plus 150 in some books. But you can also just bet the whole fight doesn't go to decision at around minus 110. Um, minus 108, minus 111. It's actually minus 135 in this book. So that's the way I would lean right now. Fight doesn't go to decision or even maybe take the plus 160. But we made one play on Drickus at minus 125. And I like it all the way up to minus 150. Well, it's a great day for me to whoop somebody's ass. All right, my friends. Being that I'm going to be on vacation with my family, I want a quick look ahead to the next UFC event. You have Fiziev versus Dos Anjos. Fiziev about a minus 200, minus 210 favorite. Dos Anjos plus 175. Fiziev and Dos Anjos is a great fight here. Fiziev's the up-and-coming guy. 29 years old, just knocked out his mentor, Brad Riddell, who he trained with for a long time. Fiziev is at Tiger Muay Thai. This is a 155-pound weight class, and I got to tell you, Fiziev's the real deal. He's had a good strength of schedule. Bobby Green, Renato Carniero, Mark Diakise. He's fought some pretty legit guys. Now, Dos Anjos has been around forever, right? Fantastic fighter. 31 wins, 13 losses, 37 years old. He just beat Renato Carniero as well in a decision. Then he beat Paul Felder, but he's got some losses. He lost to Michael Chisa by decision. He lost to Leon Edwards, which is completely fine because Leon Edwards is an absolute beast at the 170 weight class now. I think, actually, he went down a little bit, Dos Anjos, uh, to be in this division because he fought Kamro Usman and Colvin Covington before that, lost both of those fights. Well, if you like Colby Covington, then you probably like Fiziev here because they kind of have the same style a little bit. Fiziev is going to be the hungrier fighter. Now, Dos Anjos doesn't, Get knocked out too often. He's only been knocked out three times in his life. He's lost by decision 10 times. But Fiziev is a special kind of fighter, in my opinion. Very powerful. And he's going to be going for the knockout as soon as he can uh, find an opportunity. This is going to be a five-round fight. I like Fiziev at the minus 210. I probably like him in the parlay as well. But I'm going to try to find a plus 200, plus 250 type situation, if possible, that I can get uh, Fiziev inside the distance. Maybe even maybe you'll even be up to 
plus 300. We shall see. I'm really hoping so. If you like the UFC, I'm actually going to be teaching a class over at Sports Wagering University. And that class is going to be on July 14th, a free class for everybody. Intro to UFC betting, the fundamentals of UFC betting. Very excited to do that. And there's going to be some advanced classes that we are offering after that. So please visit sportswageringu.com to register for this free class. You can kind of see exactly how I break down the fights, what sites I use, and what I do through my whole process and trying to pick some winners. Thank you so much for listening to this great podcast. We had some fantastic guests on our side to make it great. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at the Ozbreakers. I'll be on vacation, but I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Enjoy all the games coming up for the weekend. Enjoy the fights and go get some winners.